Let's take a look at a little timeline. Sorry, this might be a little small for you to read, um, but I just wanted to give you a, a look at, at kind of how this plays out. This, this follows essentially Irenaeus's timeline, uh, which is more or less the traditional way of seeing the, the writings of John. So you have Christ's death and resurrection, and then the day of Pentecost around 30 AD, um, and then you have the, the first years of the Christian church where there's really no writing that goes on at all. Um, the disciples go out and preach. Luther said that the church started as a mouth house, not a pen house, uh, so that the nature of the gospel is to be spoken and proclaimed rather than written. Around uh, probably the 50s, maybe even as early as the 40s, there begins to be some writings. Um, Paul, Paul's epistles are some of the earliest. Uh, I think most modern scholars put Galatians as the first. Um, there's, there's debate among New Testament scholars as to the, to the date of, of all the books. We're relatively certain uh, from a variety of them. I'm not an expert in this area, so I, I always have to go look it up in books myself to see what other people say. Um, I do know, however, just in my experience of knowing several New Testament scholars and studying under them at the seminary, that it seems that most scholars, they have their own book that they, they study, they're an expert on, and they almost inevitably argue for it being early, because they want it to be more important than the other ones. So, um, for instance, my, one of my professors who is uh, the Gospel of John, he wants the book of John to be early, in fact, maybe even earlier than the other Gospels as well, to show how it's more important. I think John's late, the Gospel of John. So at any rate, you have some, some letters being written around here. Then, in the 9th and 10th century, you have a significant cultural change that happens. Actually, it starts before that. Um, but you have, in 81 AD, the reign of Domitian. Uh, Adam, you, you know your um, Roman Caesars, right? What's, what's Domitian known for? Uh, persecution of the church. Yeah, he's, he's the big persecutor. Um, there's some others, too, that go on. Nero uh, is part of that. He's a little earlier. But Domitian's a big one. Um, and so he reigns 81 to 96. Um, Irenaeus attests that at some point during the reign of Domitian, perhaps maybe before, John is exiled to Patmos um, as part of the persecution. So he's a, at a, a slave prison colony, essentially, um, and that he returns to Ephesus after Domitian's reign ends in 96. So if John is a young man at the time of the gospel, he, he's probably, you know, maybe a 20-year-old or, or so here, um, He's getting to be in his 80s by this time. So he's an old, old guy. Um, by the way, John's the only apostle and disciple of Christ who presumably did not die a martyr's death. He died of natural causes. Part of the reason is because what significant thing happens to John at Jesus' crucifixion? Mary. Yeah. Behold your mother, woman, behold your son. So Jesus entrusts Mary to John. Uh, so he has a little bit of an extra responsibility. 
Um, so he does not go out to the ends of the earth like, say, Thomas, who goes to India. Or, um, let's see, who else? Is James, son of Alphaeus, I think, goes to Africa. I forget where, where everyone kind of goes. But um, most of the disciples go, um, John stays in Ephesus. And he settles there with Mary in his household. So he takes care of Mary. Um, Mary falls asleep in Jesus at some point here. Uh, John is exiled, returns then to Ephesus after his exile. The reign of Trajan begins in 98 AD. And Irenaeus reports that John lived into the reign of Trajan. Most likely then, John dies in the early 2nd century, perhaps 99, 100. Um, so he's a, quite an old guy at this point. He's maybe reaching his 90s at, the, at this point. Um, let me look at my notes here. So Irenaeus attests that John wrote Revelation uh, toward the end of the reign of Domitian. So 96... We can kind of backtrack a year or two if we need to. Um, also that John returns to Ephesus after, his, after Domitian's death. Uh, several sources indicate that John lived into the reign of Trajan. John's gospel then, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, probably is the last of his writings. I, I hold to John's gospel being the, the final book of the New Testament that's written. Probably somewhere in this area right here, just before John dies. It's like his last will and testament. He is now recapitulating everything that happens in the New Testament era as the very last of the living disciples. He is setting down one last time the life of Jesus, and he does so in a very unique way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar, right? In fact, sometimes they even include word for word the same story that is found in the other, other two. John doesn't. There's only a couple of stories in John that, is, that are found also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or Luke, um, the, the crucifixion being one of them. But John expands on things in different ways. Like, one half of John's gospel is given to the last three nights of Jesus' life. A full one half of his gospel is the upper room, his death, and his resurrection. Um, so John's different in this way. And he also writes in a spiritual sense. That's why John is... Do we have him in here? Yeah. So we have... Uh, see, does my pointer work? St. Matthew is the man. St. Mark. Is that right? Can I... Is that the lion up there? Okay. And then in the back we have uh, Luke is the, the ox. And John is the... Eagle, the St. John's eagles, right, uh, because John soars above the rest of the, the Gospels. Um, so John writes a little bit differently. I hold that the Gospel of John is the last thing written to kind of bring everything back together. Um, it could have been begun earlier, though. I mean, if you're writing a big book, it could take you years, and it's very possible that John also wrote some stuff back in here just wasn't published yet. So it could be both early and late. The final version, though, <clears throat> I think comes out right at the close of the century.
Um, the date of his first epistle, the, the large epistle, is uh, debatable. Uh, most people put it very close to the publication of his gospel. So also in here, it could have been earlier, I suppose. Um, I, I don't have any good arguments one way or the other. Um, but it's somewhere probably towards the end of John's life after he has been away from Ephesus for a while because there have been some errors that have creeped in, especially some Gnostic teachings. And so John is combating that both in Ephesus and in the surrounding churches. So Ephesus is like the mother church, the Muttergemeinde, and uh, he's also writing to the other churches in the area uh, to bring them back to the truth of Jesus Christ, incarnate, crucified, risen, and ascended. Revelation, then, may actually be his first writing. Let me get that out of there for you. Revelation may be his first writing, a book with high symbolism to communicate to insiders with insider language. So if John is exiled in Patmos, he's under persecution, under threat maybe of death for speaking of the Christian gospel, uh, then writes in a symbolic way to let his, his people know, his churches know, uh, that they should not fear the persecutions because though persecution may take away life or livelihood, um, there is something greater that remains. Uh, like Luther wrote in um, um, A Mighty Fortress, and take they our wife, goods, fame, child, take they our life, goods, fame, child, or wife, let these all be gone, the victory has yet been won, the kingdom ours remaineth. Um, so that being said, we could probably pretty confidently date Revelation to the early to mid-90s A.D. So again, towards the end of the apostolic era, at this point, probably the majority of the New Testament has been written and published and is circulating in the churches. All right, any questions about timeline or any thoughts? I don't know why I'm not using this thing. All right, now we can talk about canon a little bit. Where does, why, is John, why is Revelation in the Bible? Does it belong in the Bible? Um, you may have heard at some point that um, Martin Luther did not include Revelation in the Bible, right? Have you heard this? No? What other book did Martin Luther not want in the Bible? James. Uh-oh, we're reading from James right now. Uh, so I say, what? Luther is like the word alone guy, scripture alone. What's he doing messing with the Bible like this? Well, there's actually some reason. What is the list of the books that should actually be considered Bible? Why these books and not others? Why do we have this list and not, for instance, uh, say, uh, the Didache, which is another very early uh, Christian writing that it's really quite excellent, in my, my opinion. We can make a distinction of the books of the Bible between the 
homologumina and the antilegomena. This is so fun to say. Go ahead, give it a try. Homologumina. It's fun. Antilegomena. Homologumina and antilegomena. Uh, these are, this is a distinction made between books, uh, a set of books of the Bible. Homologumina are books that were accepted always and everywhere as scripture. Apart from some heretics like Marcion, um, Christians have always accepted Matthew's gospel as scripture. It just always was. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as, as a matter of fact, and the book of Acts are all included in the homologumina. They've just always been understood as scripture. Uh, the, the writings of Paul, the epistles of Paul, always taken as scripture, never once was it questioned. First uh, John, First Peter, these are the books that make up the core of the New Testament. And as soon as they became available to the church, they were placed alongside the scriptures of the Old Testament and were used as scripture in the church. And this happened probably by about the year 100 AD. I mean, there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but around the close of the first century, the homologumina was essentially set. So there's a core group of scriptures that are of the New Testament. Now remember, at, that, at this point, you don't have a Bible like this. When did this sort of thing come about? You, you can't go to the family Christian store or, um, or Amazon and order a Bible. When did this sort of thing come about? Canon's actually before Constantine. Um, it, the, the Homo Legumina is, is actually established well before um, the, the later developments. What Constantine and other councils did is establish the, the length or the, um, the boundaries of the canon. And that deals with antilegomena. As far as the Bible goes, though, first of all, you can't get a printed Bible until like the 15th century because that's when the printing press is invented, right? So our idea of a, a Bible like this just didn't exist for most of the history of the church. Also, the idea of a, a book that has sheets of paper bound together called a codex um, isn't around until, you know, third or fourth century. I forget when the first codexes show up. Um, but at the time the New Testament is actually being written and being circulated and coming together, how do people write? On scrolls. And so your Bible is like a collection of scrolls that you have in a bag or in a well, storage vault somewhere. Um, so books of the Bible are actually, what, which scrolls do we use as authoritative texts? Antilegomena. Now, these are books that are spoken against. Antilegomena. And um, these, uh, these books are 2nd uh, and 3rd John, 2nd Peter, 
Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation. The reason why books are spoken against is because questions of authorship. So Revelation, for example, is, is this really John who's writing? Which John? A book, the book of Hebrews is anonymous. Sometimes there's content, like uh, the book of James. That's why Luther said James should not be included in the Bible, uh, because he felt like the content of James contradicted the content of Paul. And the Roman Catholic Church at the time actually used James as a way to say, you're saved by your works. Um, so Revelation is included in this anti-legomena. So then over another couple centuries, there's this kind of debate that goes on in the church. People give their lists of books that they say should be included in the Bible. Sometimes Revelation is included, sometimes it's not. Uh, finally, uh, it, it kind of comes down like more in a consensus that these are the books, the ones that we commonly know in the New Testament, including Revelation down there. Um, and then some people take a vote and say, yes, we actually give our stamp of approval to this then. So um, the canon comes together organically. It's not as if someone sits down in an office somewhere or puts together a committee to choose the books of the Bible. Um, the canon comes together by the book's use in the churches. I have a great quote from Martin Franzman, but I didn't write it down. It goes to the effect of only a God who is truly Lord of history can risk bringing his word into existence in the way that God actually did. If you have a false God who is not truly Lord of history and Lord of the church, he has to reveal things like the Mormon God. Secret golden tablets that only one person can translate. The true God kind of says, hey, go write some stuff. All right, Luther's objection. Let's see how much time we got left here. Oh, not many. Not many minutes. All right, so Luther's big objection is Revelation does not clearly proclaim Christ, um, but if you kind of know the keys, you see Christ. So Luther is... He wasn't known for having uh, moderate opinions. <laughs> um, his formal objection is that Revelation is highly symbolic and prone to misinterpretation. I will agree with him on that, um, but that does not mean that we should thereby just cut Revelation out of the Bible. Um, my, uh, my tactic was just never to teach it, and then I decided I would. So, Revelation is canonical. It belongs in the Bible, but with an authority that stands beneath the clearer books of the Bible that clearly proclaim Christ and Him crucified. So as we interpret Revelation, we cannot take Revelation to undo what the clear portions in the clear books of Scripture say. We may not create a doctrine that stands on Revelation alone and is found nowhere else in Scripture. So that's how we distinguish between homologumina and antilegomena. And James then has to be kind of understood in light of Paul. 
All right, this is kind of a, a, a new thing for, for many people, so uh, any questions on canon? Why do we have the books we have in the Bible? Okay, uh, let's just do real quick here, apocalyptic symbolism. Here's our lamb that is slain with seven eyes and seven horns. Uh, symbol means something that's thrown together. Symbole, thrown together. Um, Martin Franzman on symbols says it's that it's the shortest of shorthand, um, a language of an insider for insiders, and it's something that's sensed rather than understood. So it makes an impression rather than communicates like... Um, it doesn't communicate information like a, kind of a list of facts. It makes an impression. Uh, Franzman said there are certain doors that we can enter into to become an insider. Um, first of all, the gospel of Christ and him crucified. So we'll see this sort of thing. Um, we'll see Christ portrayed in this symbolic picturesque language. Um, the Old Testament as well, uh, apoc uh, Revelation is only one of many apocalyptic writings, but it alone refers to Old Testament themes more than any other apocalyptic writing. So the Old Testament, no, knowledge of the Old Testament is key to understanding Revelation. And then also knowledge of a Jewish man living in the Roman Empire, especially during the times of persecution. Uh, so knowing a little bit of that cultural background will help us as well. In addition to symbol, we can um, say a sign. A sign is simply something that points to something else. Uh, and the study of signs and interpreting signs is called semiotics. Um, Augustine was one of the first to, to give a theory of signs. And he said you have to distinguish between Things and signs. Some things don't point beyond themselves. They're just things. Um, but some do. All signs are things, but not all things are signs, he says. Then you have to distinguish between natural signs and conventional signs. A natural sign would be something that follows cause to effect. Like smoke is a sign of fire. It's a natural sign. Conventional signs are ones that arise from convention, like language. Um, why does sign refer to that which points to another? Well, we've just kind of used it that way. It's convention. Um, and then you have the problem of ambiguous signs, which brings us to Revelation. There's a lot of ambiguity. And let's close here real quickly uh, with just some other examples of biblical apocalyptic texts, Isaiah 24 to 27. Zechariah 9 to 14, Ezekiel, Joel, and Daniel all have some of the similar elements. Uh, so reading those will help you also read Revelation, but not relying only on those apocalyptic texts because um, if you're just relying on the high, highly symbolic texts, you're going to go astray into ambiguities. And then you will end up importing your own meaning into the symbol and into the sign rather than deriving what the meaning, the meaning that's put there. There are other extra-biblical apocalyptic texts, Book of Enoch, Book of Jubilees, Fourth Esdras, 
assumption of Moses. These all, however, do not have the same uh, basis in the Old Testament. And then finally, one last thing, uh, two approaches to interpretation of Revelation is uh, a linear approach, which is how a lot of like the left behind stuff takes it, that there's one event that happens again, and now you're going to look to the future. Um, millenarian is the way he describes it, so it's this thousand-year uh, apocalyptic thing, um, or a cyclical interpretation, which is recapitulation. So Revelation tells the same story several times in different ways. This is the way that Dr. Brighton of Blessed Memory um, would have us read Revelation. By the way, I have three commentaries I'm using here. Dr. Brighton, Martin Franzman, and then good old Lenski. So we'll kind of be gleaning from them. Um, I think I'll start with this one next time. So let's end right there. Any final thoughts, questions? All right. The test is next Sunday, so I hope you're all taking notes. Uh, let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank, thank you for the revelation you have given to St. John and for the revelation you give to us, your members at St. John's Lutheran Church. We ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we continue to, as we begin to delve into uh, the words of, of John the Revelator, that we would uh, come to uh, be impressed with these symbols and pictures of heaven, that you would give us hope and confidence, um, even in the midst of trials and sufferings and persecutions, that uh, there is something more than this life in which we are currently living, that we would look uh, uh, also ahead to the hope that we have for us in your kingdom of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so long, everybody. Have a great Sunday.